0: In today's episode, I have the pleasure of talking science communication with former U.S. Senate and House of Representatives Chief of Staff and President of Bayer Strategic Consulting, Mark Bayer. During our conversation, Mark and I talked about best practices when communicating science to non-academic audiences, but we also talked about the interface between science and policy and the role researchers and scholars can play in this sphere.
1: If you have interest in getting involved in policy, do it. Don't put it off. And and don't don't think that you need to do something uh, out of the gate that's so monumental and time consuming. You know, it can be as easy as following your member of Congress, your state representative on Twitter and seeing what she's doing. And when she does something that you agree with, retweeting it. You can do that from your couch if you want to. You can do that anywhere. And that's getting involved. At an early level, right? Um, you can do that, and and you know when somebody retweets it or likes it, or or you know, then you're going to be like, hey, I, that kind of feels kind of good. I just got a little dopamine hit there. I feel kind of, you know, I'm I'm getting involved in politics, and you are, you, you you know, you are to an extent. You're dipping your toe in and testing it, and so I would just say, don't put it off, and and don't don't think that the barrier to entry is is so high because it really isn't, and we all need your voice. Uh, to be a part of the policy making discussion.
0: Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Welcome to this week's episode of Papa PhD. Today, I have with me Mark Bayer. Mark is an international keynote speaker, coach, and course instructor, helping scientists and engineers get funding, gain influence, and build relationships with their most important stakeholders. Former Chief of Staff in the U.S. Senate and House of Representatives, Mark designs and delivers interactive talks and true-to-life training that empower listeners with the same proven powerful tools he used to effectively communicate and navigate in the U.S. Congress. Mark's work has appeared in Science and the New Yorker magazine, and he has been featured in IEEE USA's Lesson on Leadership column a guest lecturer in the Science Policy Bootcamp course at Cornell University's School of Engineering, Mark also hosts the weekly podcast When Science Speaks, which explores communication, science policy, and career issues. Mark is a magna cum laude graduate of Cornell University and earned his Master in Public Policy at Harvard University's Kennedy School of Government. Welcome to Papa PhD, Mark. Thank you so much, David. It's fantastic to be here with you. Well, I, I'm super, super happy to have you here, and I, I, I think just you know the bio, uh, the bio points that that I, I just covered are reason enough for me to be uh, over the moon happy to have you on the show, and um, and I, I, I'm, I'm super, super happy because we're in a, in a situation, and right now we're still in the you know living the the COVID pandemic, and this question of policy, this question of. Uh, science communication and this question of this, of having a healthy interface between science scientists and the population at large is so important today. So I'm, I'm really, really happy to have you on the show today.
1: Yeah. Well, it's uh you know, it's a pleasure to be here. It's an honor to be here with you. I'm a
0: fan of your show. Well, thank you very much. And, and, uh, well, I, I think let's go to the first point, which is to present you to the, to the audience, to the listeners. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm just going to let you talk a little bit more about who you are, uh, you know how that, that that journey that I kind of alluded to in the intro, how it how it happened for you, and how you came to this position today of helping scientists who maybe want to get uh, implicated in in science policy, uh, who want to communicate their science to a wider audience. You know, how you got to, to, to this position and then share a little bit about the experience uh, you've had uh, interacting with scientists throughout the years. And maybe we can even talk about the situation today because it's a very particular one in, the, in that aspect
1: absolutely i'm glad to do it and also just note that rambling is an occupational hazard of people who are in politics so feel free <laughs> to interrupt to stop whatever if this starts to be too long and windy but uh, all right uh, I'll do, we'll do we'll do <laughs> yeah um I, I guess i'll just say off the bat that as a non-scientist uh because my last science course was ap bio in high school uh, which i actually enjoyed very much mm. uh, but i um, you know, I love and uh, I love working with scientists uh, because I really also feel a kinship given that, you know, as a political person, you know, I always wanted to take on the big challenges, big problems out there in society and to try to work with others to solve them. And in many mm-hmm. ways, I feel that's what scientists do. Uh, they look out, they're, they're, they're out there on the frontier, you know, they're trying to figure out really tough problems um, and, uh, and be really dedicated and they're motivated by lots of different factors, but I think often it's just the motivation to want to do good and make a positive impact. And that was really my job description when I worked on Capitol Hill. Um, and so, you know, I started, uh, I spent, you know, as you noted in the intro, a long mm-hmm. time, about 20 years total working on Capitol Hill and two different, two different tours, uh, wedged in between a startup and working for, Waterhouse Coopers on the consulting side, uh, starting a nonprofit. Um, I had the uh, honor uh, of being called back and going back to the Hill after about a six year time uh, hiatus, I guess you would call it. Um, and then, you know, felt really, um, you know, fortunate to be on the front lines of working on some of these biggest issues at the time Obamacare. Uh, Homeland Security, and I came back to the Hill right after 9-11. I got the call from from my old office okay. um, and, and went back, you know, to the Hill at that point. Um, and, uh, you know, along the way, um, I felt like, number one, even though I'm not a scientist, we always had scientists that we worked closely with, experts, PhDs, and so forth, mm-hmm. many in our own office, because we always had AAAS Science and Technology Policy Fellows. And, you know, we took their expertise very seriously. It's funny because they never worked on the subject matter that they really were a subject matter expert in that their PhD or postdoc was in, but they applied a way of thinking, a rigor, uh, a system, you know, uh, a thoroughness that Mm -hmm. was so important and that we relied on a lot. So I worked very closely with scientists throughout my 20 years on Capitol Hill. Um, And then when I left, I kind of felt like I had been chief of staff on the house side, House of Representatives, done the same, been chief of staff on the Senate side, um, worked uh, part of some, some big campaigns. Uh, it was time for a new chapter. And around that same time, when the election in the United States was happening, you know, all of us saw science, evidence, data really being marginalized yes. as part of the policymaking <laughs> process. It was ideology you know, not epidemiology, <laughs> and I said, it was for the situation with COVID. Um, and that really troubled me. But it wasn't just about COVID. It was all of these major issues that have an impact on us uh, as a human race, you know, uh, whether it was clean air, clean water, um, just the environment more generally, and the national mm-hmm. treasures, the natural and national treasures that we all have, our national parks and so forth, right down the list um, to, to climate change, uh, which is, you know, of course, the, the biggest existential threat. I always say like COVID is up and climate change is on deck uh, <laughs> because we know that is looming and we need our best scientists, we need our best minds to be working on these major, really, there really aren't any bigger issues than these. They're, they're existential. So that concerned me that the mm-hmm. merits and the data weren't being followed. And You know this competing narrative that was based on lies um, was out there and being embraced by lots of people so i kind of geeked out as as a persuasion nerd that i am you know why do people make certain decisions how can we influence people um, honestly and with integrity and authenticity and using actual evidence you know, how can we do that? I, there was a lot in the U.S. of, you know, this is the 10,000th. This is the 20,000th lie, I think, at the end. It was, okay, we just hit 40,000, and now the administration's over. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't really interested in compiling the lies as I was combating them and mm-hmm. trying to figure out, are there ways that we can do this with honesty? And so I started writing uh, about um, this issue, you know, um, Uh, I did a talk at the AAAS conference in Austin in 2018 that was fake news and alternative facts, how to stand up for science when data aren't enough. And Mm -hmm. I was really struck by, and I shouldn't have been really struck by, but I was surprised by just the volume of people who were in the room and wanted to to talk about this. And then it sort of hit me that, you know, facts and data and evidence are really the oxygen uh, on which the entire scientific enterprise depends. So yeah. if you say that's no longer important, um, then you, you basically are just cutting off, you know, the the, the life support here for, for this thing that's so vital for all of us. And so um, I did some writing. A piece um, was, well, that talk at AAAS was included in Science Magazine and, and okay. uh, some other writing. Uh, it was no pressure. the The reporter showed up and he said, "You know, I'm just I'm going to write about this." Is right before mm-hmm. I started talking. I said, "You know, that's okay. I had a lot of experience in this kind of situation when I worked in the Hill." And then the president of AAAS said, "You know, we've never done these sorts of talks before." And I said, "Oh, that's I'm so glad I can you know be be a part of it." And, said, and this is the very first one that we've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> oh my!
0: <laughs> I said, "Okay." But you know, but you know what? I, I'm not surprised that the, the 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 room was full because it's it's an issue that has so many variables and. you you know it it's emotion it's um or a sense of being in, in an in-group or out-group compared to other people there, it's there's so many things enmeshed in this question of fake news and 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 why people adhere to them that uh, I, I I know in, in 2018 I can see how many people were interested on listening to you like talk about it and maybe give them tools to combat it it's not it's not an easy thing to deal with
1: sure and i think you put your finger on a major ingredient uh, which is emotion. Uh, and uh, that is overlooked um, m- a lot of times by people who are in a position to refute these uh, these lies uh, because they want to respond immediately with data and actual facts, um, mm-hmm. which has actually turned out to be the wrong way, for the most part, the wrong way to do it uh, because people aren't really relying on facts uh, exclusively when they come up with this stuff. Um, it's mm-hmm. motivated by other things. Sometimes it's you know anger could be emotion could be values could be community norms could be faith um Mm -hmm. all sorts of you know different things that really aren't on the same channel as facts are so you start to Broadcast in the on the facts channel, and they're only listening to the emotions channel, uh, and That's you're going to miss each other. <laughs> it's going to be uh, it's going to be a frustrating experience. And so, um, the more I did that, the more I started working with universities. Uh, actually, that conference led to a keynote at UNC Chapel Hill um, mm-hmm. because scientists and I, and I still feel this energy. Uh, of course, March for Science. Right, uh, almost immediately after the administration, the former administration was. Uh, began uh, you know mobilize people and i did did work for them um, as well and spoke spoke at their conference um, and The whole idea here and, and the reason I do what I do is I really do want to empower and equip scientists uh, engineers, technical people who have so much important knowledge. Um, but help them translate that and communicate that to non-experts, you know, to their most important stakeholders who are in a position to actually take that data, that knowledge, and get it into the public policy realm, so all of us can benefit.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, uh, not to be touching something that can be divisive, but today this whole question of wear a mask, don't wear a mask—that's uh, 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 just one example and. The, you know, take a, take be vaccinated or not. It's, if you think about it in terms of data and of science, I think it's pretty clear what to do. But the thing is, like you were saying, people, some, or, you know, a part of the population is not uh, attuned to just what the science says. And there's so many other things that are weighing in on their decision to want or not to comply with these things that it's true that, that, uh, you know, for sure, someone who comes from a space of science and, and numbers and logics might have a hard time having a, a, a discussion and convince people that, you know, that what they are saying and that the data they're presenting are, uh, f- bona fide, uh, reasons to, to yes, follow these, these instructions. I, 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 this t- totally makes sense. Now, uh, you had you you did these talks you started working with universities and today you you offer the service to to scientists who want to communicate their science to the wider public Exactly. Yeah, I I uh,
1: I have a workshop. Um, of course, these were all in person. Although the online class was always an online class, but mm-hmm. um, I have a, a workshop that I do. That's usually a half day. Um, it can, you know, it's it's really about unleashing your power as a scientist. Because even though we've been talking about emotion and the fact that scientists often live in the world of data, scientists also have a lot of underlying assets. Already, mm-hmm. um, that can be effective in the policy environment. They just need to be reoriented uh, a little bit in this, you know, new world or this different world, I should say. Uh, and then I also offer an online course, which I started a couple of years ago, which is how to effectively communicate your science to any audience. And just a brief note about that: I, I actually am offering the latest round. I usually do it about once or twice uh, a year. Uh, Mm -hmm. And the latest round is coming up on February 18th, as it turns out. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, if anyone is interested in learning about uh, the course uh, and wanting to potentially sign up for the course, um, all they need to do is if they have their phone, they can... Just text science speaks, which coincidentally happens to be close to my podcast name, science Mm -hmm. speaks, uh, to four, four, two, 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 uh, and then they'll, they'll send their email. They'll get prompted.
0: They'll send their email and I'm happy to send out information about the course. This is great. And uh, just to be clear to the listeners, this is one week after the air date of the episode. So we're it's airing on the 11th of February and uh you know and we're recording way before but with the magic of podcasting <laughs> this is right. airing exactly one week before the beginning of the program uh so perfect and you know what I will also share that information in the show notes of the episode thanks David I appreciate it. well now uh, a, a question you have uh, had you know a uh, a lot of uh, scientists uh, from different domains uh, doing your workshops, uh, you know, coming for you f- uh, for some advice on these questions that you mentioned. And, and let's start maybe with, with science communication. Um, can you maybe share uh, with me and with the with the, the listeners what you've found, um, you know, maybe a, a couple of main roadblocks or common mm-hmm. roadblocks that... Uh, that scientists coming to you have that you consistently have to deal with or or to teach them to to work around?
1: Sure, I'm happy to do that. And I just want to say high level, like these kinds of things, like distilling all this information that you have as a scientist and then translating it and communicating it to a non-expert in a way that's engaging and memorable, that's hard it's not an easy Mm -hmm. task. Um, And so I understand that it's something that I have spent, you know, 20 years doing, Uh, I think I would probably blow up a lab if I was asked to do an experiment. So I sort of (laughs) turn the mirror on myself. Uh, But I I want people to feel uh, like this is a skill, though, um, that they can learn if they, you know, practice it, Uh, they get instruction in it, and they, they continue to use it, they'll get better and better, and it started enjoying it. Uh, a lot, which leads to the virtuous cycle of doing it more and getting even better and getting even more compliments. So um, mm. a couple of things that just strike me um, and I'll sort of give a couple of um, just maybe quick uh, headlines that, that, that explain what I mean. Um, and the first is you want to you're really showing the trailer, not the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. And so when you're describing your science, again, we're only talking about general audiences here, people who aren't in your specialty. Um, You know, there Mm -hmm. is an inclination that you wanna sort of tell as much as you can and squeeze in as much detail and information as you can. Um, The problem is that it ends up getting completely garbled in the mind of your listener. They get confused very easily. And so reorient that and think to yourself, you know, I really just want to get them interested, give them some highlights, and then we can always, I can always fall back and give them more details, you know, either following up or in writing, whatever it happens to be. But um, my focus, of course, is oral communication. So you just think, you know, I'm going to just show them the trailer. I'm not going to tell them all of the plot twists back and forth of how I got to this and, you know, what routes we took and what we thought of but wasn't correct. And what in super, you know, I really just want to get them interested in seeing the movie, getting more details. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So show the the trailer, don't show the movie. Um, And then sort of along those lines, you think, okay, that sounds great well, how do I do that,
0: right? How do I actually do that? So, yeah, how do you choose? Because for a scientist... All all those details seem, can seem to be important, right? right. You, but you need you need to have a to, to kind of, to be able to decide. Okay, uh, there's a cutoff. This is gonna stay below water, and then the tip of the iceberg I'm going to present is gonna be this. How right. do you decide?
1: <laughs> it's so true because it's like I spent all this time. Like, okay, which one of your children is your favorite? Like, <laughs> exactly. You know, like I spent all this time <laughs> working on this, and and I'm so in the meat. Uh, you know, and I'm glad you're fired up. You're passionate about it. You definitely need those things, but. It's not in in this aspect of it. So I say, think about it this way. A lot of times, what what trips people up and they start to go off mm-hmm. path here is process steps. First, mm-hmm. we did this because, of course, we're talking about people who generally approach things in a logical progression. We tried this, then we tried that, and then we tried the other thing. Oh, then we found out it didn't work. Or if we adjusted it slightly, it would, look, you're. Think of yourself, so process steps, if you find yourself talking about different interim process steps that you took to get to some result, it can be an interim result, um, but some kind of, you know, more relatable result, if you find yourself talking about all the things that you did to get there, then you know that you're you're veering off path. It's sort of like have mm-hmm. you ever heard like you know you might be a redneck if, you know, there's that Jeff Foxworthy comedy sc- mm-hmm. sketch, you know, you might be uh going too deep in the weeds if you're talking about all of these process steps. You don't you don't want to do that. Um and so um so think about that if you're starting to do that because also kind of envision yourself uh, talking to uh, a friend or an acquaintance that you just met and you're walking along and you're talking about your work. Every time you say something that that person doesn't understand, what they're thinking in their head is what did he just say? What did she just say? I don't quite understand mm-hmm. this. And they start to think about trying to decipher what you just said. Now, in the meantime, you're continuing to walk, right? You're still yeah. walking. And you're like, now you're like five paragraphs into something different, right? <laughs> so that means that you're, your friend there starts falling behind in the journey. You keep walking and keep talking. Maybe he or she figures out something and then catches up a little bit. But the more you do that, the more that person falls behind the conversation until finally they just give up. They're just mm. so far behind. Maybe they'll check in. You know, that's usually when they're reaching for their phone. They're like, "Okay, <laughs> I, I surrender." You know, this is like too, too much in the weeds, too complicated. I can't relate to it. I don't have anything to latch onto, to in my real, in my, in my own non-scientific outside the lab world Mm. to really understand what you're saying so if you think about that you know you want to keep that person walking side by side with you continually bringing them along in your conversation and ways to do that like you said you know show the trailer not the movie um and then use examples and uh uh, that are real you know real world examples so you know it's kind of like you know what we're trying to figure out it's sort of like insert thing that the person's going to understand right you know it's um you know, it's like when you're climbing a mountain and you're looking for the different, like I had this one of the stu- students come up, students in the course come up with some great, you know, examples. And they you know, neuroscientists in this last go around from Chicago was mm-hmm. talking about something that was very complicated. She basically, you know, how does the brain like register? What is the brain doing when it sees, say, a dog? Like, what's happening, like with these zeros and ones right mm-hmm. in the brain, these electronic these um, electric you know uh, bursts, you know what what are the neurons doing? I mean, that's a very complicated thing, particularly when she said, because once you understand what it might be doing when it sees a dog, guess what? It's doing something different when it sees a wet dog. <laughs> when see the dog it's like oh don't climb on me i mean i can still see her her excitement but oh, when it sees the dog just walk up to it and it's oh a different feeling your brain's doing something different mm-hmm. so she used some just great analogies and metaphors to talk you know talk about that um and it was it it kind of very quickly uh made it comprehensible to uh non experts uh, people like me who don't have any experience in there so think about what's it like um, you know, think about what is mm-hmm. this like that, that my listener can understand from his or her real world.
0: Makes me think of uh, the, you know, the CRISPR-Cas9 uh, Nobel Prize and there was one term that kind of bubbled up and I think it kind of represents what you just said, which which is you just, you know, I, I heard journalists saying, well, it's, they are molecular scissors that cut mm-hmm. DNA in specific sites that, and then uh, we're able to re- to you know, paste another part of DNA in there. And that's this right. expression, molecular scissors, when I listened, I was like, okay, this is genius because right. it, it, it encapsulates so much <laughs> yep. right. in, so, in so little and in something right. so relatable.
1: right. And just on that, David, I'll just quickly tell you because sometimes what I get is pushback when I say use something like, it's like, yeah, but it's not exactly the same thing as what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, I know it's not the exact same thing you're talking about because if it were the exact same thing, you're talking about, it would be the thing. But <laughs> guess what? The person doesn't understand the thing. So you have to give them something that's similar. Like, you know, when you say molecular scissors, yeah, well, it's not because there's no, you know, there's no hinge and there's, yeah, that's, that's fine. You know, and you can get to those really nitty-gritty details, maybe to a subset of your listeners if you have to, mm-hmm. but they're never going to want to learn. About your research, if they're not immediately attracted to and interested in, drawn to what you're saying, and you can only do that by giving them things that are relatable to what they do, where, where you're giving them more results and not process steps, interim steps, and you're making it relevant, you know, to their everyday. Mm-hmm.
0: It it totally makes sense. So right now, I see two two. There's like two steps that you've mentioned. The first one is you have a bunch of children. But you're gonna be only be able to talk about two or three of them. <laughs> that's, that, that, that's, that's that's the first one, or else you're gonna lose the person. And right. the other way to lose the person, it's and it's kind of the second step, is if you 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 turn on your microscope and you go into very very small detail, and you need to to widen the angle and find the similes and and metaphors that will talk to the person.
1: Right, right. There's one more thing I'll add that's a little different that people don't always think about, which is this doesn't have to be and really shouldn't be a monologue. Like if Mm -hmm. our goal here is to keep our listener engaged, active, following the conversation, um, ask questions, ask them some questions uh, along the way. You can start with a question. Who here has ever heard of a molecular scissors? Like, you know, or what do you think, you know, or, you know, anything along those lines immediately, like right away, because as, as folks who study neuroscience and, and other related fields probably know the principle is something I talk about. So, of course, the principle of primary, uh, i sorry, primacy and recency is very mm-hmm. important. So the first thing that I say, and the last thing I say, you're really going to zoom in on. Mm -hmm. So I need to get you right away interested in what I have to say, Um, and then I can give you a little bit of backstory, make it relatable, things like that. Um, And then at the end, I'm sort of going to give you a reprise of the beginning. Uh, refer back to it in some way, maybe slightly differently, but still the same sort of idea. So the person who leaves, you know, um, is leaving, really, it will stay with that person, uh, the mm-hmm. primacy uh, and recency. Sometimes you've, you may have heard of the idea in journalism, they say, don't bury the lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they mean is you have a great sentence here about what this whole thing is about, why it matters, you know, what some implications are for the future, you know, but guess what? It's on page two. Mm-hmm. They're never, the reader's never going to get to page two. Um, mm-hmm. It's, they, they need to get this right away. So let's move that up. And just the last thing on that point, I'll say is um, it's not, it get, do, figuring that out immediately, it's almost impossible when you just go run, you, you do your one, one through, you do your run through sort of your rough draft. Uh, first version um, you have to get it all out and then go back and look at it and see okay what where where is that really attention grabber what do i want to include in my trailer um, mm-hmm, you can't mm-hmm. do that straight off the bat it's very very difficult
0: it, it, it certainly feels like there's uh, some some neuroscience be- behind what you're talking about you know the neuroscience of retention of how to make someone retain information and in the, the way you're you're telling to structure things, feels like, you know, I'm sure that if we, if we looked, and I, and I don't know if it's something you've studied, may, you may have, uh, that, that we could find uh, some, some neuroscience basis, uh-huh. you know, behind why this works the way, yeah. it, the yeah. way it works.
1: Right. Well, one way I think about it as a non-neuroscientist, non-scientist, is I want my listener to be thinking along with me. Uh, mm-hmm. almost co-creating with me and that means that I say something sometimes I tell a story uh, particularly people who are interested in science policy they want to get involved in policy making so one mm-hmm. way or one way or another and I tell the story about this Canadian gold mine actually it is a it is a gold mine that exists up in Canada and and mm. I talk about how um, you know I walk through that story and I show you know a couple of slides about it and then you know I have people come up to me and say hey you know how are you and I say hey we met before and I say yeah you're the Canadian gold mine guy right <laughs> the... <laughs> and it's just like because that I gave them something that they can relate to so they mm. have to they're, they're processing that in a very specific concrete way and I think again as a total lay um, it probably is being retained it's going in some file system somewhere in their own brain mm-hmm. um, that they're calling up again when they see me because I'm probably in that same file in a different folder <laughs> um, and so it's just like that's what they that's what he said I want my I want my listener to be thinking along with me and they can only do that if they relate to what mm. I'm saying if they've experienced something like I'm talking about.
0: I love it. And and one of the the other things that that I think you must be good at given you know because I'm trying to picture what you're saying there's a pace right there needs to be a, a fairly because you were talking of two people walk, walking in a forest and there's you know when we talk when you're giving a talk there's a pace that you if you're too fast you can lose people or if you're too slow but then the fact that you are calling back to the information at the beginning also kind of naturally puts a limit to how much information in one, you know, you can, you can uh, provide in in one goal, let's say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, this all makes a lot of sense. Now, all of this that you've been saying makes me think of, of, uh, of one thing, which is, you know, we talk about science communication, we're talking about science communication and just, just, you know, maybe to, to be clear, and maybe you can, you can add a little bit, this uh, applies not only to uh, popularization to scientists who want to uh, share, I don't know their own results to the, the general public, but um, imagine in a startup, if you want to convince investors uh, you know to put in more money or to invest in your project, I think what you just described uh, is the same process that can be used in this setting, right? Exactly right, exactly right. Before listening to Mark's insights on talking science in a corporate setting, I just wanted to thank you for being a listener of the show. My goal with these conversations is to provide you with at least one take-home message, one actionable item you can apply in your personal and professional development, and I believe you'll have more than one in this episode. I also want to bring you value by making improvements to the show. Recently, I've had my first listener check-in on Instagram, for example. Also... For you who are a new listener, I've just curated themed collections of episodes I call starter packs to allow you to catch up on all the conversations and easily find the ones that interest you. You can find them by visiting papaphdcom forward slash start. And I have big plans for the podcast in 2021, like improving the accessibility of each interview by having someone prepare and upload clean transcripts or being able to better thank guests for their generosity and time coming on the show with a gift, for example. Bringing Papa PhD to you every week in the current format is a lot of hard work, so to help keep the project afloat, I've set up a new way for you to support the show. A Patreon. To be clear, you don't have to be a patron to listen to Papa PhD. It's free and it will always be. And you have my profound appreciation for tuning in each week and for talking about the show with your friends. But for you who want to help me maintain the quality of the show and potentially bring to life some of the cool ideas I have for it, you now have a simple way to do so. Just go to papaphd.com forward slash Patreon and choose one of the tiers or create your own. Again, thank you for being a listener. Now, let's get back to the interview.
1: And I can give you a specific example, because I know, you know, as you do, David, and also as someone, you know, who um, has uh, an interesting, meaningful career outside the lab. Mm. um, You know, there are so many, PhDs mostly, mainly, uh, uh, I guess the, the majority of, I should say, who are doing these types of um, jobs that are not necessarily inside academia. And so an example of that, a real, a real example, I had a a student who um, was a really gifted uh, chemist PhD um, mm-hmm. and he was working in industry. Um, and, and he had a meeting with, um, upper management and upper management wanted to know whether the company that they all work for should partner with another company that mm-hmm. had a chemical process that was uh complementary similar but different than their current process that they own the ip for the intellectual property for mm-hmm. and they asked him as the you know chemist who is a leader of this department should we partner with this Company, and you know, he told me this story, and he basically said, you know, I spent all this time talking about the ins and outs of our chemistry, and you know, the details of the, the our chemistry. Then, of course, the details of their chemistry, mm-hmm. and you can imagine as these upper management, like that's not what they either can understand or want to know about. Um, and so, but he was really having difficulty answering that specific question. So finally, and again with good reason, this is not training that a lot of PhDs are receiving. Finally, he got around to the point of, look, their chemistry, while it might be a, slightly, a slight improvement over what we have, it is uh, different enough that we would have to either hire new people to work on this or we'd have to retrain people to work on this. And mm-hmm. because it's only slightly better, it's not worth it. Okay. And so I think everybody in the room sort of exhaled <laughs> <laughs> <Oof>. <laughs> 30 minutes later was thinking like, we're not getting those 29 minutes back. Um, and and just felt like you know this is that's all we wanted right was that one minute but but when you're not used to exercising that muscle and it, it, again it takes practice um, it it does take a while to get it into you know uh, yeah, into into fighting shape so to speak mm-hmm. and into being able to communicate it uh, in that way and and he realized that and he was frustrated. You know, by that, um, so that's one of the things that uh, an application sort of that you're talking about. You're talking to investors. Uh, they 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 just have you know what what you know what are the what what's my return on investment going to be? What are mm-hmm. the risks? You know, I don't want to know the ins and outs of the technology. <laughs> uh, I don't understand it. And it's not my role, really, to know the ins and outs of it. Um, I just need to know, is it going to be profitable? Who's going to buy it? What are some of the risks out there? And so forth. So if I start going into sort of the details all about, you know, which is my comfort zone, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, As as the expert, I'm just going to lose people. And it's going to be frustrating. It's not going to be successful.
0: Yeah, it's funny. uh, A recent... um... A recent guest on the show, Fabrice uh, Marquet. Marquet. He's in Monaco, and he he's, he has a PhD, but now he's he's in the in in a um, startup incubation uh, business. And he said, "No, uh, throw away the science. If you if if uh, you want uh, me to uh, to work with you for, to to grow a startup, and you're you're coming with details, I know you're not there yet with your product and and with with the idea. So I, I'm not sure I'm going to listen to you." <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um now right, now uh, this this kind of uh, for me makes me think of the next step because we talked about talking to the public talking in a in a business uh, investment or corporate setting and then there's there's government you know the, you, we talked about it uh, I talked about it in in the intro uh, uh or you know in your intro and I think it's kind of the it's a next level which is uh, policy and how to help you know how scientists or or people with, with a scientific background of, of different levels uh contribute or can contribute to help politicians make decisions that then end up affecting all of us uh, as as a as a population and you uh, you've had experience uh in d c like like we mentioned. And this, I know, uh, because we talked before that this is uh, this is a point that that interests you a lot. Can you talk a little bit about that, and maybe about uh, experience you've had um, with with people wanting to wanting to make that transition from science to policy? Sure.
1: And I, um, you know, one of the things I want to do in my everyday job is to encourage and empower and equip equip scientists to get involved in policy for the reasons that we talked about. Earlier, and I'm obviously very happy that um, OSTP is going to be a cabinet-level, you know, position, and 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 there's going to be a, there's going to be a heavier, much heavier reliance on science to uh, in the service of public policy because mm-hmm. we really do need it desperately. Um, I think a, a few things for anyone who is interested in getting involved in policy making a couple of things just to to keep in mind one is it does not have to be at the federal level it could be federal uh, in the u.s could be working at the federal level in one of the executive branch agencies and departments or in Mm -hmm. congress but it doesn't have to be in fact it can start in your own neighborhood um, you know, we, for example, in the county that I live in, you know, there are always these policy issues that come up, you know, should we build the fourth high school? Mm-hmm. You know, how are we going to handle, you know, the runoff from this stream? And th- those are all policy issues, and they're all going to affect the community. And if you're just starting out, you might want to consider getting involved in those initiatives and those discussions. And the second point is, you do not have to have your PhD in water quality or your edt and education uh you don't have to have an m you know your your doctor of public health to talk about health issues Mm um you know i i think that sometimes people kind of, um, you know, they self-select out uh, and they take themselves out of discussions because they don't feel qualified. Now, this is usually because in the university world, um, actually, you do have to have mm-hmm. those sorts of credentials, but we're not uh, to, to really engage at some some levels, but we're, we're not in the university le- world at all. Um, we're in this other world. And so getting to this point of the rigor of the analysis, understanding data, understanding the questions to ask. These are all really process, uh, just, you know, um, the, 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 the system, the systematic thinking. This is all training that is so relevant to, to these uh, issues, these public mm-hmm. policy issues, and that all PhDs postdocs they're receiving. Um, and so you can really put those to use at the state and local level. And of course, at, at the other levels of government, but just something to think about is don't narrowly interpret your own expertise um, and say, well, I can't participate because I'm not an expert as defined in the university world mm-hmm. because you're not in the university world, um, so the minute you start asking about p-values, you know, somebody you know, <laughs> you can imagine the situation where, you know, it's funny you're around the table and you're talking about you know, say uh, chemical chemical spill in this particular body of water in your community, and there are people from the county board, there are neighbors. Um, and then you know there are people from the chemical company down the road that's mm-hmm. assuring everybody again this is just a a, a story that I'm just making up at the time, but I'm <laughs> telling you a story so you can so you can visualize. You can imagine that discussion around the table and the, the person from the chemical company says, Oh, don't worry, you know, it's it's not a problem for the public health. Well regardless of what your experience is as a PhD there are a million questions you could ask you know well why do you come to that conclusion you know what studies what and then ask you know and then quickly you're certainly the expert in the room for those people who are wondering the same kind of thing but they don't have that kind of background and training to ask those questions Mm -hmm. so you can decide you can do that see oh I really enjoyed that maybe you know maybe I want to get involved at the state level or maybe I want to apply for a A fellowship. Um, If you are in school, there the AAAS fellowship, science and technology policy through science, uh, science societies, um, is is really well known. A lot of states are doing this now, basically Mm -hmm. the same thing, but it's state legislatures: California, Massachusetts, New Jersey, um, Idaho um, are, are doing this. Um, and so they're at a very smaller scale. Um, they're doing this as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even, you know, uh, you know, even things like, okay, well, I just read something and I want to email a letter to the editor, you know, about some topic, um, about some policy topic. That's a good way for you also to see, did you enjoy that? Or I want to actually go to, the office hours, you know, for my member of Congress, because they all have local okay. offices,
0: and you can do that and see how you like to do that as well. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. Uh, it's, I would have not thought of any of these things you've just suggested. Uh, the only, the only thing that I that I have seen is that uh, some universities, some uh, graduate schools, have uh, science policy clubs or, or you know, groups of people or, or even uh, people can be can get involved in university in policy related to 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 university but it's really interesting that what you're saying that this is a skill and it's uh, and and you can see if you have a taste for it but by doing it in different uh, settings that that are uh, that and at different levels some closer to you and then eventually some at at a, at a, a larger scale let's say it's really 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 interesting
1: Thank you, and and I, you know, because I I want uh, scientists and engineers and technical people who have this information, this really strong evidence-backed information, to get their voices heard, and um, you know, you you um, you, know, you can certainly. Think about those avenues uh, and, and decide, you know, whether you, whether you would like to do it um, and, and then, you know, decide how, how, how much time you want to spend on it. But one, one funny question that came out of one of the keynotes I did is mm. I talked about getting involved in policy. And so during the Q&A, one of the PhDs raised his hand and said, you know, I would only have an hour a week to do this. Mm-hmm. Like, like, how much of an impact can I make? And I said, if you spent an hour a week you know, writing to your member of Congress, maybe going to a office hours once in a while, retweeting, posting or something like that, you would set yourself up higher than 99% of the people (laughs) in the congressional district. So you would be, you would be recognized. They would know that you were involved and other people would know that you were involved. So, um, you know, don't overestimate how much time it takes to get involved.
0: It's funny, I think this we are talking about this particular thing of getting involved in science policy, but this thing that you said in life, I think stops us from doing so many things this thing of oh but but I'm not as good as X who am I looking at because they have a wonderful i don't know twitter profile mm. or or I don't uh, like you like you mentioned before, I can't do this, I don't have the credentials or you know the 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 studies and uh, i i really really love your your approach and i think it's uh i think it's an inspiration to to try new things and allow yourself uh to if you feel this interest and and this curiosity to to go test uh, the waters Thank you. And I'll just say one one thing that,
1: that relates to this. And I know it can be very difficult for people who are still in university because the demands on their time are just so tight. And it's hard to do things outside the lab, the library, for example. This is true. Um, but in, in interviewing folks who have been able to get more involved, when I say folks, I mean primarily PhDs, postdocs. who have been able to get involved. One of the things that they have done is they have been able to carve out, usually what they do is they find something their PI or their advisor is sort of interested in, um, and then they get that green light and then they go ahead and maybe do, you know, either maybe they just write an article about it, or mm-hmm. they, in some cases, you know, put together a little conference about it. But I think as a generalist that I that I am, and I know, of course, PhDs, you're super duper specialized. Mm-hmm. But as a generalist, what I find is the more you can and it doesn't even have to be political but the more you can get outside of your lab and experience different things what i've found is that can really help your science in the sense that the more little experiences you have in territory that's not your native habitat say the more you gain different perspectives and and i personally feel like that's when when innovation happens it's by taking seemingly disparate things mm-hmm. and combining them in new ways. And that can inform your science as well. As you sort of get out there, oh, that's sort of like, yeah, I remember I did this and maybe we should look at it a little bit differently. This is sort of the argument for Mm -hmm. diverse teams and so forth. And you can do that in your own head by trying to think of yourself, okay, I know I have all these requirements and super specialized on these experiments that I need to get done, you know, this quarter or this month, but are there little things that I can do that maybe seem unrelated? And you might be surprised that you get more aha moments in the lab than you
0: normally would have. Mm-hmm. I this this totally makes sense, and uh, just just because you kind of stimulate your your brain to explore and to to be a uh, in a novel space, and and so the, this new this new terrain that you'll gain in, in terms of of your of your mind space will probably have uh, effects on on what you were doing before. I, and another thing that I feel must be important and you know you having been in dc for, for all that time and having that experience and now also talking with all these people and, and helping them communicate uh, uh communicate their science uh there, there i'm sure that there's an aspect of or that there's what i was going to say is i'm sure that the aspect of networking and of meeting different people that come from different spaces uh, m- is also something that i imagine has this positive effect on you
1: yeah, for sure. And it does have kind of um, an angle to, to it when you talk about effective communication uh, in the sense that, you know, I am always looking to, I love, I'm curious by nature. I really do love hearing people's stories and their backgrounds and how they got to do what they're doing and, you know, things like that, their experiences. Um, and I, I like that. When I teach communication, one of the things I say is, look for connection points um, even before you decide, how am I going to present this? Mm-hmm. You know, oh, you know, you, you know, you're up in Canada. Oh, you know, I have relatives there. Where do you live? You know, just ways of connecting on a human level that are authentic, honest, obviously, and accurate. Um, and that can help uh, sort of open up channels of communication that otherwise may have been more difficult Mm -hmm. if you had just launched right into whatever you wanted to say it's funny people say like small talk you know like it's unimportant actually there's it's there for a reason because i think you sort of want to warm up Mm -hmm. you know with with your listeners a little bit before it's one of the reasons why uh you're here politicians at at a big rally you know it's so great to be here with my friend so and so Mm -hmm. that the crowd knows, and be back in XYZ town, um, which I haven't been in in four yeah. <laughs> years. Uh, you know, I mean, all these little things, I actually heard a talk by one of um, Mrs. Obama's former speechwriters, First Lady, and uh, she said that, you know, you would always put that at the beginning of, of speeches, and now there's a reason for it. Mm-hmm. It's this connection that I'm talking about right before they communicate, connect before you communicate. Mm-hmm. It's a mantra uh, that I that I like to, to teach. Um, and then the fact checkers at the White House would send back these emails saying red flagged on this you know they've never met you have they're good friends or you know they know it's like okay look <laughs> literally you know you are correct but you have to understand right more broadly speaking mm-hmm. um why that you know why that is there why it's important And i'm sure they do have things in common but nonetheless um this idea of networking sometimes can be anathema it's like a dirty mm-hmm. word uh but it's funny because you say the scientists don't you go to those lab happy hours yeah like, yeah, those are great. I was like, well, that's what I'm talking about, too. Don't you like to stand around with, you know, with a drink in your hand and and chat with people? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, like, well, really, that's what I want to think about when it's networking. You know, what, what do you, you know, it's, what do you like to do? You know, again, asking questions in the beginning to try to discover some common humanity that we all have things in common. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I agree, and it's true that it can be seen as as this kind of yeah shifty or schmoozing or you know a mm-hmm. bit yeah shady but uh, mm-hmm. i ca- I can understand totally where you're coming from with this thing about authenticity it's it is important and 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 then it flourishes into something else eventually.
1: And you know, it's very true. And and we as humans are social beings, right? And I I had someone on on my show a while ago, Alison Shapira, who's great, um, and she talks about um public, she's a public speaking expert mm-hmm. uh and works with a lot of uh women executives. And you know, you look at polling, you can see that fear of public speaking is right under fear of snakes. That's <laughs> what people are most scared of. So it's like snakes, public speak. Now, dying in a plane crash is further down the list. So people are more afraid. So I said to Elsa, like, why are people so afraid? You know, what, 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 what why are people afraid to just engage with others whom they don't know? And, you know, what she said, I thought, she said, well, of course, there's no like, definitive answer to that, but she had a really good mm-hmm. one. Uh, and she said, you know, think about way back in time when, you know, humans were in tribes and and everyone sort of was a nomad and they were moving around the savannah and it was a very perilous Mm -hmm. time to be alive. And, you know, you were in your group um, and if you got split off from that group, if you were ostracized, if you were exiled, Mm -hmm. if maybe you said something to offend, you did something that was viewed by the leader um, as so egregious that you were cast out from the group. um, Well, that was fatal. Right. Yeah. That was, you weren't going to survive on your own uh, out there. And so she said she thinks that there is some of that same hard wiring mm-hmm. uh, that is still firing in our brains um, that really makes us worried about putting ourselves out there because there could be bad consequences. Mm-hmm. Of course, they're not. They're not going to. That doesn't include death, generally, (laughs) uh, although in some totalitarian regimes it does, unfortunately. But for our conversation here, um, embarrassment and things like that are what people people fear. Um, But thinking about doing it authentically, as you mentioned, David, um, and trying to find commonalities that don't have to be monumental. You know, we went to the same college. Mm -hmm. You know, we traveled to the same place. I'm interested. You know, we talked earlier, you know, your family roots are in Portugal. My wife and I are thinking about traveling to Mm -hmm. Portugal. Uh, You know, these are, as long as it's done authentically and honestly, and it's not done in a transactional way. I think sometimes people who, who, who operate kind of in the world, primarily of just logic think, well, they have something that I want. I'm going to ask them for it. I'm going to get it. And then I'm going to either move on, you know, or that's it. And I find that way of thinking, it's short, it, it short-sighted and, and it, it makes it more difficult for people to to really wanna help. Sometimes I talk about the lawnmower principle. You have a neighbor who you only really talk to when she wants to borrow your <laughs> lawnmower, right? And it's kind of like, look, asking for a loan is not a big deal. I'm not using it, right? I know she's going to return it. It's going to be in fine shape after she's done. So I don't have a negative feeling about that person. But I don't really have a strongly positive feeling about that exactly. person either. Because I sort of on some level feel she's just using me for my response. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, and wouldn't it be nice if maybe, you know, when she was, you know, hey, I'm going to the supermarket. Do you need anything? Like just reach out mm-hmm. proactively. Mm-hmm once in a while and that would totally change my perception and maybe at some point i could say to her hey i just you know i just happen to see that you know lawnmowers are on sale you can get one really for <laughs> someone giving away a brand new lawnmower two, two two blocks down you might want to check it out
0: um and that becomes more of a relationship rather than just a request. I, I love the example yeah yeah and the yeah that's uh, actually uh, i was kind of looking for that idea of the transactional versus an uh, authentic relationship and i think you just just put the finger uh on it uh mark we're okay. reaching the the end of of the the interview and um it, it's, I, I just want to keep on keep on talking because it's so pleasurable but we're gonna have to to, to kind of close and we talked about uh you know how to uh, uh adapt uh your discourse and and um and uh kind of Choose what you're going to say and and maybe leave something behind the curtain when you're going to talk with with the public. We've also talked about how um, this process of choosing and and deciding uh, what you're going to share, uh, uh, how we can apply in a corporate space. Um, we've also talked, uh, and I, I find this really interesting of how you can step-by-step step move towards a role in, in policy. Um, and you know, may, maybe just to kind of finish, uh, and I, again, staying on this, this policy question, because I think I have a feeling that with all that's happening with all this question of the, the pandemic uh and and of uh, the all the things that need to be done to to kind of fight it that people with the scientific background may have more and more of a, of a place uh you know in 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 the, the the public arena in this uh in this uh capacity of uh, explaining things and and bringing knowledge to to community maybe if you have uh, and, and you know i've i haven't Ask, ask this, uh, or I haven't mentioned this, or that I was going to ask you this. But if you have some last few words for people who are listening and who do feel this urge, be it to to uh, combat fake news or to go into policy, but they're, they feel a bit lost. You've already shared a lot of how to get there, but um, maybe if uh, if they feel this urge to do it quicker and to do it now, I don't know if you might have some advice for them and uh and yeah and then um uh, maybe just share where they can reach out to you where they can find sure. you and uh and you can maybe remind us of the name of um of your your workshop that's coming up next week sure i i would be glad to and i would just say if you have
1: interest in getting involved in policy do it. Don't put it off. And, and don't don't think that you need to do something uh, out of the gate that's so monumental and time consuming. You know, it can be as easy as following your member of Congress, your state representative on Twitter and seeing what she's doing. And when she does something that you agree with, retweeting it. You can do that from your couch if you want to. You can do that anywhere, and that's getting involved at an early level, right? Um, you can do that, and and you know when somebody retweets it or likes it or or you know then you're going to be like, hey, I, that kind of feels kind of good. I just got a little dopamine <laughs> hit there. I feel kind of you know I'm I'm getting involved in politics. and you are you, you you know you are to an extent. You're dipping your toe in and testing it, and so I would just say, don't put it off, and and don't don't think that the barrier to entry is is so high because it really isn't, and we all need your voice uh, to be a part of the policy making discussion because when it's not, then decisions are made uh, by alternate means and based on other i would say you know non evidentiary non science backed reasons, and that's dangerous for everyone. Uh, that is dangerous for everyone. So, scientists, I, you know, I would just say, if you're, you know, you out there listening, how do I do this? Yeah, something as easy as social media, something as easy um, as making an appointment to. Actually, you could make an appointment to to talk to, um, you know, your say district office. Um, say, might just give you a specific example. Say, you were mm-hmm. really concerned. Um, about um, ulcerative colitis, you know, and you're doing research related to uh, the microbiome, which I know is very, very popular mm-hmm. uh, these days. Um, and so he said, you know, maybe your research has something to add, you know, all you could, you could call up your local congressperson's office and say, you know, can I speak with the staffer who handles healthcare? care? Um, and I'm from, I'm a constituent from so-and-so place. You need to Mm -hmm. establish yourself sort of, why should they listen to me with the deluge of information (laughs) and people coming at that office? Well, they're going to listen to you when you lead with the fact that you're a constituent. Um, Mm -hmm. and then you'd like to talk to the healthcare staffer and, um, one way or another communicating with that person and saying hey i'm from xyz town in the district or state um and i'm doing research on um, the microbiome and i know that the member is on the health committee or is interested in in healthcare, and always trying to tie it to you know the, the members interest or why they should care and then you can begin a back and forth you could even say i don't have any particular request but i do have some resources you know that might be helpful mm-hmm. can i send you a very a one pager which is sort of the currency of Capitol Hill, okay, okay. anyone who's busy, you know, to do to do that, <laughs> uh, and just of information, and then you sort to build more of a relationship, um, and you might be surprised. You might get an email saying, "Hey, you know what? We're going to introduce some. The boss is going to introduce legislation on this topic. which you take a look at this section of the bill mm. and provide some feedback?" And and that's really great. Um, that's how you know. Okay, now I'm you know really in, inside and and having specific input into into national policy in this example.
0: I love it. It's so simple.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it, it really is. Yeah, we we need you. We need more scientists and folks who are dedicated and have the rigor that you have involved in policy.
0: Okay. It's so funny because this week's episode, the the episode that I published in the week uh, that we're recording this, it's in French uh it's with the person in france who's uh, who's um directing so in in the government who's directing the, the largest uh, uh nationwide uh science festival mm-hmm. and she said precisely that she said uh we're in the position that i am we are five in the french government right now and i i heard kind of dream or wish is that in Two years, five years. We're, we're that the, they're ten or fifteen because she's like you, like you, you just said she feels that there's a need for people with scientific background to 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 uh, populate this interface between government and society, between science and society. So I, I just love that you just said it, just like. That. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for that, David. I appreciate it. So. So where can people find you online? How can people reach out to you if they have questions or if they, uh, they want to talk a little bit about uh, your workshop? Sure.
1: Uh, well, very easy. The, the first is you can just simply text SCIENCE SPEAKS to 44222. That's SCIENCE SPEAKS with an S at the end to 44222. Mm-hmm. You can also go to bearstrategic.com and there is a connect with me um, you know button on the homepage and so forth Um, you can do that it gives you an opportunity to say what you want to talk about uh, and a good number to reach you and I'm always happy to to talk to to folks who um, have interests like those of your listeners so that's probably the easiest two ways you could certainly follow me on twitter at bearstrategic as well if you do that and and I welcome linkedin uh, requests to connect as well. Um, so if you you know look up Mark Bayer, maybe one or two other people, um, but you'll recognize sort of what I do by the description, and I'd be happy to connect with you on LinkedIn
0: as well. Perfect, Mark. This has been a great pleasure. Uh, I, I really uh, I I really feel that it's the 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 episode is packed with really actionable points for people who want to communicate and even want to go into policy very practical ones so I want to thank you uh, very much for having accepted my invitation for being here on Papa PhD Um, and um, yeah all of these links that Mark has mentioned will be in the show notes so if you, you can you can Go back 10 seconds and take note. If you don't want to, it's fine. It's going to be in the show notes of the episode. So again, Mark, thank you so much for having been here today. It's been a great pleasure. And and, uh, I I think uh, the listeners uh, will have a treat listening to our interview.
1: Well, thanks, David. I really appreciate you having me on the show. I love what you're doing. I love the show. And uh, it was really an honor to be with you and to have a chance
0: to talk with you and, and to engage. And that's it for this episode of Papa PhD. If you have questions or comments related to this interview, reach out to me or to Mark on Twitter or on LinkedIn. You'll find the links in the episode show notes. If this is the first episode you listen to, do go to papaphd.com forward slash start and explore the Papa PhD starter packs. I'm sure you'll find inspiration in many of the stories shared and strategies to apply in your academic and professional journey. And if you do like the show... Share your favorite episode with a friend. Word of mouth is the best way you can help indie podcasters like me reach a wider audience. Thank you for being a faithful listener. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to PapaPhD.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.